want to talk to you today about the Judea contract. Jesus, in commissioning his disciples, some of his very last words to them were, and when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power. Not just a feeling or a sense of his presence, but you'll receive power. I believe that God touched me with power to raise me up from sickness coming back from India. And I know that doesn't happen all the time when you go on a mission trip, but I believe he did that then. Amen. And then he said, you'll be witnesses in all Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and into the uttermost parts of the world. Well, when we get to Judea, the, the Bible gives us a picture of what the Judean church was like. I'd like you to turn your Bible to chapter 9, and we'll look at verse 31. I want to highlight some things in chapter 9. It says this, Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, not Jerusalem, not the center, not the power base, in the spread out place, they enjoyed a time of peace, And was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. This was the ordinary picture of the ordinary church that was spread out in Judea. The story goes on, as Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in that area in a place called Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas who was paralyzed, he'd been bedridden for eight years. And Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you, get up and roll up your mat. Immediately Aeneas got up and all those who lived in Lydda and Sharon, which is in Judea, saw him and turned to the Lord. The miracle amongst the Lord's people did a great move of turning people to the Lord. And then later on in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha in a Greek. Her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good. Do you know some people like that? Does anybody know a Dorcas? They're always doing people good and helping the poor. And about that time, she became sick and she died and her body was washed and placed in an upper room. And the story goes on and uh, Peter sends out all the mourners and it comes down in, in verse 40 where it says, turning towards the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. And she opened her eyes and seeing Peter had sat, seen Peter and sat up and he took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. And then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to to her alive. And then the story goes on in chapter uh, 10 and the end of verse uh, chapter 9. Peter stayed in Joppa some time with a man uh, called Simon the Tanner. And then verse 10 it says, in Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius who was a Roman legionnaire. This is the ordinary church. This is the church at a time of peace. I don't know about you, as you look back on your life, do you wonder how you got here right now? Do you wonder about all the twists and turns that got you to Birmingham in this place? I mean, in fact, isn't it amazing who you're sitting next to? 
Just have a look. I know, well, if it's your husband, then, you know, that might be a story as well. But look the other way and think, you know, how would it be that a man from Matlock is sitting next to somebody from Brazil? How does that work, that God brings that about? You see, our ordinary lives of what we've come to the place are a mixture of planned things that we've studied for, worked for, and moved into. And then they're also a mixture of unusual things that you did not expect. I bet there are some things in your life, and excuse me, I don't bet, but I suppose there are some things in your life that you just didn't expect that would happen. But you probably would describe yourself as an ordinary person living an ordinary life. Your ordinary life has been made up of much more than just ordinary things. You see, we're told here in this passage that the church in Judah, Judea is going through a time of peace and strengthening. They were going about their ordinary lives. Now, I think we can learn some things from them of how they did this because their ordinary, peaceful lifetime had some distinguishing characteristics. See, the first nine chapters or the first eight and a half chapters of the book of Acts has been very dramatic. Thousands of people getting saved, cripples being healed, the apostles being thrown into prison and then miraculously released, a great distribution of food, choosing elders and deacons, Stephen gets martyred, a fantastic conversion by Paul and things turn around. It's like a rip-roaring story. And then the Bible says... This was a church that had a time of peace, was settled and strengthened. The disciples in Judea did not choose to be in Judea. If you look at Acts chapter 8 verse 1, it says, On that day, the day that Stephen was killed, a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem broke out and everyone except the apostles was scattered through Judea and Samaria. So they weren't even in a place by their own choice. It was not by their choice. And I would suppose that some people in this room, not everyone in this room has been granted all of your choices. And some things have happened to you and you're in situations perhaps today that was nothing to do with your choice, but you're having to live in spite of it. Here was a church that were dislocated, having a time of peace, being strengthened, receiving things that weren't their choice, but they weren't people who were saying, man, I wish we were back in Jerusalem. Why aren't we back in Jerusalem? We don't like it here. That actually, they decided to say, this is where we are, and this is how now we're going to move forward with our ordinary lives. I don't know about you, But I've often heard it said that we are strengthened and taught more in hard times. That when difficult times come, God teaches us lots of things. And I actually believe that. That's true. He he crystallizes some of the things in our uh, Christian life that we need to know is, is right for us. But you know, there's also... Great lessons to be learned in a time of peace, 
in a time of strengthening, in a time of ordinary times, because that trains us and shapes us for our default position. I'm just wondering today, I wonder what our default position is. Five years ago, this city went through very difficult times. It was a time of riots. It was a time of riots in London, and they spilled out and came up to Birmingham, and it was a very uncertain time. And at that time, the the police put a call out to church leaders and community leaders and said, could you help us uh, to bring community cohesion? And therefore... uh, I I was chosen to go down to Lloyd House and and next week the Assistant Constable Alex Murray is going to come and share how uh, the police uh, need your prayers and need your support and that's going to be a great time for us. But I went down there and out of that kind of crisis I made a call out to some city pastors and some city leaders and I said why don't we get together and pray and pray for our city. And for the last 60 months or five years, uh, on the third Thursday of every month, we've been gathering together as pastors and leaders. And you would be, uh, I guess, proud to know that in your church, the denominations from all over the city come on that third Thursday morning and they pray life and peace into our city in that great church. But they came out of a time of crisis. And when the crisis had passed, And we prayed lots. I felt the Lord speak to me. And I felt like the Lord say to me, don't stop praying together when the crisis is over. Don't stop doing the right thing when the crisis is past. And isn't it strange sometimes as us as people that when the crisis is on, we're holding fast to the Lord. When the crisis is bearing down on us, we're crying out to the Lord. But when the crisis is past, the Lord is relegated perhaps to a lesser place in our lives. I wonder what that would be like in a marriage. That when things were really needed... That the couple really cleaved to each other, but when crisis was passed, that they kind of lived parallel lives. What would it be like if children only appreciated you on Christmas morning? Mind you, that kind of does happen sometimes, doesn't it? But I wonder what it's like for the Lord that when there's a crisis, we're ready to learn lessons. This church, in a time of peace found a default position so that they could store up strength for whenever the crisis came and not just in it. I believe God gives us times of settled strength and peace so that he can teach us even more precious lessons that we can build into our lives. And not everything is learnt out of crisis. Look at verse 31 just again. It says that the church in Judea enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. The first default position of this church was that they lived in the fear of the Lord. And the word for fear in the Greek is a really strong one. In the original, it means that they were consistently reverent. 
that they were aware of the Lord and the Lord's priorities as their default position. That when they were going about their normal business and as they were going about just the ordinary stuff of life, they were aware that the Lord was present and he had priorities for them. That was their default. I'm just wondering, church, whether or not we can begin to say, Lord, whatever's happening in my life, even if I've got a, a quite a, just an ordinary right life right now, I want to notch your priorities right to the top of the list. And I don't have to wait for a storm for me to say, oh, you're really important to me, Lord. What about if we could just say uh, today, Lord, I'm just going to say I want you and your priorities, no matter what's happening in my life, to be right there at the top. And then church, the second default position about this church was, is that they had a strong dialogue with the Holy Spirit. It's actually more than just being open to the Holy Spirit. It says of them, that they were encouraged by the Holy Spirit. They weren't just open, there was communication going on with him. And without having a, a kind of special season of seeking, as we've just had, and that was appropriate, and that was good. But as they went through their lives, they were always saying, Holy Spirit, what do you want to say in this situation now? What are you saying right now? The word encouragement means to call alongside and speak into. It wasn't that they were just having feelings. They were having a word from the Holy Spirit spoken into their spirit. That was their default position. I just wonder when things are well and when things are going good for us, whether or not the Holy Spirit has to fight for attention. And you might be in a good and a settled place right now. But you see, the default position of this church, when nothing was going wrong, even though they hadn't got all their choices and they were settling to their ordinary life, was, Father, we just, we just want to reverence you. We honor your presence. And Holy Spirit, we just know that you can speak into our lives and we know that you want to direct us no matter what's going on. That was their default position. And it didn't take them a time of crisis to get there. See, that's what I mean by the Judea contract. The contract that we make with the Lord is to prioritize him and stay open to the Spirit and listen to him. That we actually begin to say, that's how I'm contractually going to live my life. See, ordinary doesn't mean that nothing's going on. We need to learn the lessons of how to live in a time of peace and establish the default positions of what we're going to have in our lives without thinking about it before any crisis hits. And the third thing about this church was, and the Lord increased their numbers. It seems to me that as they reverenced the Lord, as they were open to the Holy Spirit, the Lord would direct them and lead them to things. And then he would increase their numbers and begin 
to grow them that way. It's very interesting to me in the book of Acts that you don't really see, oh, the Christians did this campaign and this. It was actually as the normal Christians did their normal business and as they followed the Lord, the Lord added to their numbers because they were being used by him. You see, Judea was an ordinary place. My friend, Dr. Keith Warrington, describes it like this. He says that the people of Judea were like country people who worked the land. And they were actually known as the idiotes, which where we get the word idiot from, because they were so simple. It was not the high life center of the Jerusalem culture. It was not the high life center of, of the temple power. But when we take this overall view that the church was living in this time of peace, having a strengthening, the account of in Acts kind of scratches underneath the surface and says, let me show you, having said to you that they were in this time of strengthening and peace and it was ordinary, but let me scratch beneath the surface and show you what ordinary lives are like. Because I guess if I came and sat next to you, And we started talking for five minutes. Most of us would say, oh, just an ordinary person. But actually, as we talked for a while, I bet there'd be some really interesting things about you. I reckon there'd be some things that are not so ordinary about you. I reckon there'd be some precious things in God that God is doing that isn't that ordinary. And the same was true of these people here. You see... When we say we're just ordinary people, don't assume that means we're deathly boring. Ordinary, following after God, means that great things happen. I want to just say to you that these three people, Aeneas, Dorcas, or Tabitha, and Cornelius, can teach us three lessons of how to be when we're living our ordinary lives. They kind of represent some of the needs that happen as we travel about our ordinary existence. Number one, Aeneas was, as we've just read, he was this ordinary guy living in an ordinary church in a time of settled peace, but he had an eight-year problem. He'd been crippled for eight years. He had an ongoing issue that he'd learned to live with. The church of that time were a good church and they'd learned to live with his problem. They were persevering, they were carrying on. And it's like all of us who are ordinary, we, we all have some things in our lives, maybe not as dramatic as this, that we just wish weren't there, but we're learning to live with it. Aeneas is with the Lord's people with this eight-year condition, and they were all saying, what a shame. And sure, as Christians, we have to learn to endure and to have perseverance. In fact, perseverance shapes our character. And learning to live with a few things, and and understanding that the Lord doesn't answer uh, every single prayer every single day straight away. He hears every prayer. And he answers every prayer, and sometimes it's wait. And it's important that we have perseverance and endurance. But can I say this to you? For those of you who are living with an ongoing issue, 
It might be a job issue. It might be a health issue. It might be a, a, an emotional issue. It might be a relational issue. It might be something from your past that you're carrying around. I want to say to you, don't give up on the breakthrough. Don't think that you have to live a life where you say, well, this is just me now. What about not giving up on the fact that we believe in a God who can break through ongoing issues and he can change them and heal them and make a difference in your life? One of the things that I hear often about Christians is, oh, let's just be faithful. Let's just be faithful. And that's good and that's right. But what about in your mindset and in your heart thinking, you know what, I still believe that God is the God of the breakthrough and he can do something about this situation. Can we hear an amen? Yeah, come on, let's give the Lord praise. Your breakthrough, as with his healing, is maybe not just be about you. Maybe it will be a witness to some other people that they will see what God does for you and God blesses you. And then blesses them through you. Your breakthrough is not designed just to return you back to comfort, but to return a witness to God. Don't let's be good people who are faithful, who persevere. But let's be the sort of people who still believe, even though we've carried something from year, for years, that we still believe, God, I still think you can sort this. Amen? Because that's the God we serve. The second thing that I notice is through Tabitha or Dorcas. And the unusual description about Tabitha is this. Her character isn't particularly described, but her good works and her ministry is. They hold up cloths and say, look what she did and and how she fed us and, and the good works she did. And it's almost like, And I'm sure they didn't mean it this way, but when you read the description of Dorcas, it's almost like they missed her ministry as much as they missed her. Because she'd been so active and she'd been such a good and faithful servant. Dorcas, to me, represents in an ordinary church, in a time of ordinary peace, ministries that have died Ministries that have died and need to be restored back. In the life that's ordinary, there's always something that we used to do for God that we've kind of let go. That we've moved on from. That we used to serve God in a certain way, but now we've kind of saying to God, I'm sorry God, I'm in retirement. And I'm just wondering if there could be a Dorcas moment in our church today where he may want to restore, maybe not the same ministry, but the same fervor and passion to minister so that we may minister again from a place of of fervency and heart rather than saying, well, I used to do that, but now it's not for me. You know what? I used to be a youth leader. And when I think about doing youth work now, I almost think to myself, roll over and die, Mark, because you couldn't do that. I think I could give Jordan a good session. I think I'd perhaps last two weeks. And then I think I'd be banging my head against the wall. I think that was a season in my life. 
But does it mean I've stopped serving? You see, what you used to do might be really precious and it might really be great. And what we hear with Dorcas is that a ministry has died. And I just believe that in our house today, I wrote this sermon a week last Saturday in a dark hotel room by a bus station in India, even before last Sunday. It just felt like the Lord impressed on me to say to you, I wonder if some people need an intervention like Peter intervened with Dorcas and that ministries need to be resurrected or at least the willingness to serve again needs to be resurrected. In an ordinary life, one of the issues of our serving is that ministry flows in and out of our lives. I fully believe there are three places of ministry. First of all, your street and in your family, in your workplace, but also in your church. And I think you should have all three, not one or the other. But it's true that in all of our lives, ministry flows in and out. And I wonder today whether it's time for us to call it and say, would you resurrect my ministry again? A ministry that... Others can recognize and not just about my opinion. Do you need to ask God and say, God, can I have a ministry resurrection? Ask God for clear direction. You see, when you look at Aeneas, he was learning to live with something. What are we learning to live with? When you look at Dorcas, you see of a ministry that was great. And now it's no more, but God restores. And when you look at Cornelius, you see an Italian legionnaire in a country that didn't want him, but God wanted him. And it's really interesting to me that in these passages, the lesson of the ordinary is, is that God always wants to add to us and he will use you to do it. The tension in any church is, shall we build ourselves up or shall we reach out? And, and there'll be some people in here who say, oh, BCC, you do far too much for the inside and not enough for the outside. And there may be some people who say, man, you run everything for the outside, but what about us? What are you going to do to build us up? And there's always a tension in any life, in any church to say, well, what about the outside and the inside? Which should we emphasize the most? But actually it works like this. As you allow the Lord to minister to you, and to deal with your ongoing issues. As you allow the Lord to revive your ministry and and begin to get a serving heart, it's then that the Lord uses you, and as you do that, for the Lord uses you to reach out. You see, it's really interesting to me that it was precisely because of the miracles of Ananias and Dorcas that the Lord had Simon Peter stay in Judah. He was going to leave. But these miracles were so good and people were so taken with them that it made him stay at Simon the Tanner's house. And he stayed there and then Cornelius called him. See, God is always going to present opportunities within your ordinary life that never feels ordinary, by the way, 
to reach out to those people you don't expect. God is already working on someone right now who he wants you to connect with. As a church, I think we like to be family. Don't you? I mean, you're sitting here with your family, aren't you? Just look around and say, well, that's family. I think we like to be family. But can I ask you, we have to be willing to grow. And when any pastor talks about growth, we all start getting a bit nervous and feeling under pressure. Don't feel that way. I don't want you to feel any pressure at all. All I want to communicate to you is, you've got to be willing to grow. What if somebody came next week and sat in your seat? Oh my God, what will you do? What will you do? Perhaps here's a prophecy and an answer. Sit in another seat. God wants us to grow. He wants us to add to our numbers. It's not about my ambition. It's about the Lord's heart for this city. Cornelius was a Roman legionnaire who was oppressing the people who lived there. And the church let him join in and said, you're welcome. BCC, come on, worship team. I'll tell you a couple of stories, but then just worship team, just come. BCC, have we got enough people here? Is there enough people in this church? Are we saying, are you saying literally by your attitude, well, there's enough people there? I want to tell you something. God is working on a Cornelius around your life. God's already working out there on someone. And he's going to use you to minister to them. You see, just stand with me just for a moment. Let's keep believing for answers to our ongoing problems. I know some of you have got some ongoing health issues, ongoing employment issues. But let's be the sort of people that say, well, God, I still believe that you could do something about that. I'm not giving up. Can I hear an amen on that? Let's be people that say, God, I know that because of my schedule, because of my family life, I mean, who? when you're raising kids, is that a job or what? They didn't tell us how much hard work it was to raise children, did they? They just said, have some children. You know, they say, when are you going to get engaged? And when you get engaged, they say, when are you going to get married? And when you get married, they say, when are you going to have children? They didn't say what hard work it was. And in all of our lives, seasons come where ministry flows in and out of our lives. But if you allow your ministry to die... It stays dead. And here's the thing. It's other people who become the poorer for that. 
And that's what it was like with Dorcas. She's gone. What will we do? And there are people in this church, there are people around going, that ministry's gone. What will we do? And you need to allow the Lord to say, and breathe your ministry back to life. And let's allow ourselves to reach out. Because I know God is already at work in some of your situations. And all he's asking for is for you to just say a simple word. Oh, you know what? I try to be such a good witness in India. And you might know this, that the Indians are not very tall people. And, and you know, me and Paul, we, we stood these two big old white guys coming to the airport. And we asked this guy and said, are we in the right line? Well, he probably didn't speak English and we probably didn't ask properly. And so we get into this, in this line and here we are, these two tall white guys. And this guy with a wheelchair crashes into the back of my legs. I'm going, oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. I'm in your country, but, you know, never mind. And, and another person jostled me with this other wheelchair. And you know what British people are like? I say, this is a bit off, you know. And so we're standing there. And uh, we're moving along, and we notice we're in a line. There's loads of wheelchairs, and we're, we're you know, and so about we're ten yards away from the check-in barrier. It's taken us ages, and the lines are really long. We've been in the line about thirty, forty minutes, and so and the guy shouts, said, "Oh, what are you two doing there?" And Paul shouts back, "Your guy told us to get in that line. We are British. We never do anything wrong." Kind of thing. And we find out that we've been jumping the queue in the disabled line. Please throw rotten tomatoes at me now. What a witness. You know, the Indians like, oh, who are these two colonial big white guys who want to take over our handicap line? So we're standing there feeling like lemons and then the only defense is, your guy told us we could go in this line. No, he didn't. He was probably saying go in the other line, doofuses. There are times when you can be a bad witness, even when you don't mean to be. So don't be under pressure that you've got to be a perfect Christian. So we take a plane and we go down to Trichapalli. And we're on this little plane and Paul goes, look at this, Mark. We've got, route, we've got seats one and two right up front. We'll be the first off. So we get on this plane, seats one and two. And we're thinking, great, praise God. We don't realize that the door at the front of the plane doesn't open. So we're the last ones. So by the time we get off the plane, it's 39 degrees on tarmac. We get off and the bus taking everybody to the terminal, there's about six of us left, drives off. So we're standing there and I say, well, it's only 30 yards away. We could walk there. Oh no, no, safety, safety, safety. We look around at this little airport. There's one plane on the tarmac. We're thinking, where are all the planes coming? We could walk there. Literally, we could walk there. So we build up a little rapport with this group. And they start laughing at us being English people, you know. We said, we could walk there. You could walk there. And then I said to this one person, I said, I could carry you there, even though it's this hot. It's not that far. We could, no, no, you're not allowed to. And then 
the air hostess says this. If you're too hot, you can stand under the shadow of the wing of the aeroplane. And so we moved under the shadow of the wing. And under that shadow, we built up a bit of a rapport with these people. And I said, I stepped out of the shadow into the sunlight and said to the rest of the group, one was a Hindu person, the other was a Muslim person, the other was a charity worker who was completely secular, didn't believe in God. I stepped out of the shadow of the wing and I said, And as I stepped back and I said, you know, there's a verse in the Bible that says when life is too hot for us, you can dwell under the shadow of the wing of the Almighty and He will protect you. And the little group under the wing went, scratched their chin and went, that's really nice, thank you. We're going to think through this. And we're able to share, just, hey, we've just come to share Jesus and this is is like a shadow and he just wants to put a shadow over your life. And then the bus came and we drove the 30 yards to pick up our luggage. God can use you to witness to anybody because he's got somebody in your path who he wants you to share with. He's already preparing them. You don't have to be perfect. You have to be open. It's not your job particularly to fill up these empty seats, although some of these empty seats should be your responsibility. But what your job should be is to stay open so that you can reach out and plant some seeds and plant some seeds. Because I thought that walls I'd done in that incident is we planted some seeds and made some people think goodly and kindly of Christians. In the middle of my hotel room in India, as I was praying for this, this is how I felt like I should close this this message. I wrote this sermon before any other events happened this week. I know that like me, you've got some ongoing issues in your life. And I know that like me, you're not going away, you're being persevering, you're good people and you've got good character and it's, you're not giving up on the Lord. But I wonder if I could call you to receive some prayer that you would say, I'm going to bring you my ongoing issue again because I still believe you could do something about it. And I'm not going to be the sort of Christian that says, I'm just going to live with it. I'm going to live with it, but I'm still going to believe that you can do something about it. Amen? If you've got an ongoing issue that you've prayed about over and over again, could I ask you to have the humility and faith to bring it back to the Lord one more time and say, well, God, I'm still bringing it to you and I'm still believing for your breakthrough. If that's you, would you leave the seat where you're standing and just come and we want to pray with you today and pray that you get your breakthrough. As Jason begins to lead us in song.